I'm not on. My bad, Trip. That's my fault. Good morning. Can you hear me now? There we go. All right. Well, great day to worship the Lord together. I know we still got people out in the foyer. Uh, hopefully, you got some hot chocolate, some cookies. Uh, y'all did pretty well with the ugly sweater. Uh, some of you have never looked uglier, so it's uh, so it's good. Um, it's a great day to to be in the house of the Lord. So what we're going to do at the end of the service, we'll have Mr. Mazden come up and. We're going to do the awards and all that good stuff, but until the end, right, our focus is going to be on, on Jesus, and so we want to worship Him, and so we want to start uh, with the Advent candle. So on this third Sunday of Advent, as we think about the coming of Jesus Christ, we light the candle of joy. So Isabella is going to light the candle of joy for us this morning. Um, when Christ comes into our lives, He brings the fullness of joy. We had a chance to serve with Operation Christmas Child yesterday, and so I'm wearing the, the free shirt they give us, right? Good news, great joy. But right? it's a reminder that we have joy in Christ. Luke 2.10 says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Advent allows us to not only look back, to Christ's first coming, but to also look forward with great joy to a second coming. So John 16, 22 says, Jesus said, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And then Revelation twenty two twenty, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Faithful God, we thank you for coming into our world and filling us with your joy. No matter what comes our way, we can face it because you are with us. So Father, now we wait for you to come again. And we know that you will because you promised to return for your people. While we wait, send your spirit so that we may grow in grace. Give us great joy as we prepare for your coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and worship with us?
this morning for all the Lord has done for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Would you take a moment and just welcome those around you. Shake a hand, hug a neck, welcome those around you.
You may be seated. want to welcome you to Northside Baptist Church. We're so thankful that you're here to worship with us. If this is your first time, uh, we are thrilled to have you. Uh, we would love for you to let us know this is your first time, and there's a couple ways you can do that. Uh, one, you can check in the bulletin. There's a QR code that you can scan, um, and that'll let us know that you're here. You can fill out some information online, or we have a connection card out there uh, in the foyer. You can fill that out. We also have a welcome gift for you. Uh, if this is your first time, please stop by um, and pick that up. So multiple things that I want to, to share with you. One, uh, to give you an update on Operation Christmas Child, uh, we had 35 people go and serve yesterday. Uh, and that was really cool, a lot of fun. And we took 146 boxes. So we had 146 boxes. So um, thank you all for doing that. I know one of the locations uh, that they mentioned last night, the boxes were going, was it the Ivory Coast? Or that was, the Ivory Coast. So if you sent boxes... Um, and those boxes last night got unpacked. They're going to the Ivory Coast. And if you, some of you may be able to track those, and so uh, hopefully you'll do that. So thank you for your participation in that, hearing the stories, being able to pray over the boxes. We got a chance to do that multiple times last night. Um, is always really cool, and so thank you for that. The other thing is just an update on our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. You see in the bulletin, so far we've given $2,692.68. Our goal is $7,500. So for every $300 you give, a bow goes on that tree over there. So we have eight bows uh, on the tree, and the, and the goal is to have all 25 bows on the tree by the end of December. So if you haven't given yet, envelopes are in the pew. There's a couple ways that you can do this. One um, is if you give by check or cash, make sure you use that specific envelope in the pew. Also, for our kids, if you have some cash and you want a, a small kid near you, they can bring that up and put that in our little manger any point leading up to the sermon while we're singing, whatever, they can come put that up there. Also, we have a place for you to bring cards, um, Christmas cards for people in the church, and instead of postage, you can just put some money in that red mailbox um, just as a donation, and all of that goes uh, for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Um, have a video that I want to show, but before we show that video, uh, you all are aware, obviously, of the tornadoes that have gone through uh, a lot of the United States. Um, one of the hardest hit areas, and I sent a message out on Realm uh, if you saw that, one of the hardest hit areas is a city in Kentucky, Mayfield, Kentucky. That is actually where our secretary, Kim Wyatt, that is her hometown. That is where her sister, her mom still live there. Everyone in her family is okay. Um, they did not suffer any damage at her family's houses, uh, but she texted me last night and said there are still so many people in this small town of 10,000 who are still missing. Um, and that's just one of many cities that are, that are dealing with that. And so just be mindful of that, be in prayer um, for that. We know from not too long ago of seeing what tornadoes can do. And by the grace of God here in Noonan, we didn't have that loss of life. But other families are dealing with that this Christmas, and we want to be mindful of that. But thankfully, through Jesus Christ, even in the midst of that unimaginable pain, there is still joy because of the gospel. And we are to be about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so check out this video as they continue to talk about that. When we look at the unreached people groups in our part of the world and in most of the world, their preference to learn is through stories, it's through orality. You come in with God's stories and you're seeing His Spirit changing lives. I've seen it 
I've told stories and they listen and they love it and they begin to ask us questions. And if God opens the door to where we can continue to tell them more and more stories. And out of that ministry, we began to see we needed more people to do this ministry. And where are we gonna get them? We wanted the people that we were training to train other people. And so we began teaching in the pastor's schools and the, the student pastors were excited about it. They said, it's something that we use, it's applicable, it works. They already speak the language, they wear the same clothes, they eat the same food. All we have to do is help them to understand methods and ways that they can reach their people. The people that we're training now are the product of missionaries who came before me. They accepted Christ under these missionaries. We're training them in schools that IMB Money helped to fund, to build. It's an amazing thing. You can pray, keep the mission going. You can give, keeps the mission going. And you can go, look at me. I used to sell tire supplies. <laughs> Here I am teaching people how to tell stories. <laughs> Thanks for praying and giving and come on over. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we study from Genesis to Revelation, this is a story, God, a story of your redemption that unfolds before us. It's a story of how men and women who were created in your image but who rebelled against you, living in sin and disobedience, filled with pride, how men and women like us, wretched, broken sinners, can come to know forgiveness and grace through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a story that gives hope and joy in the most hopeless and joyless of situations. So, Father, thank you for missionaries who, who go. Thank you for men and women who are giving and who are praying. Father, right now we come to you and we specifically pray for our fellow American citizens, Lord, who are dealing with so much pain and tragedy. God, some cities devastated so much, as Kim said to me yesterday, Lord, they'll never be able to rebuild. Life will never go back to the way it was. And we have families who have lost homes. They have lost stuff. Then we also have families who have lost loved ones. And this morning they are grieving and they are mourning. Father, we just lift them up to you. We pray for them. God, for strength, for comfort. Father, we do pray that in moments like these, the stories they read of in the Bible are not just stories, but they are promises that they hold to and cling to. Because it is the good news of great joy, even in the midst of unimaginable loss. Somehow, someway, God, you still work and show up and you strengthen us and we praise you for that. Father, as we continue to sing and praise you and worship you, be glorified this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's continue to worship together.
children are going to make their way to Children's Church right now. While they're doing that, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. So last week we looked at verse 1, where Paul tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So as we begin this morning, here's the reality. Some of you in this room have been a Christian for a long time. It's been a long time that you've been walking with Jesus, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Some of you in this room You have been walking with Jesus for a very short period of time, maybe less than 10 years. And for you, you're still trying to figure out, who is Jesus? How does he desire for me to walk and to live? And then the other reality is there may be some of you in this room who have never believed upon the name of Jesus. You have never confessed your sins, repented of your sins, and put your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ alone to save you, to put your hope in Him for eternal life. Wherever you are, Paul calls us 
to walk in a manner worthy. This is where he begins. So whether you have been a Christian for 25 years, keep walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Whether you've been a Christian for one year, you are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And if you have never given your life to Jesus this morning, you're invited to give your life to him and to begin to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But what does that look like? What does it look like? Well, last week we talked about at the end of the message that one thing it means is that we're to be holy. We are to be set apart. What it also means is that we will look like Jesus. As we walk holy, we're going to look more and more like Jesus. So this morning, in verses 2 through 3, Paul mentions five things that show us how we should live. These are graces that God gives us. And by His Spirit, we can walk in them. So I want us to understand these are graces. Grace is something you do not deserve. In and of yourself, when we work through these five things this morning, these are not you apart from the Holy Spirit. You can't live like this apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. So this is a grace that God gives us, and we are to walk in these things. So if you have a copy of God's Word, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You may be seated. Five things Paul mentions here. We're just going to work through them. Number one, we'll spend most of our time on number one and five. We'll go through two, three, and four a little bit quicker. Number one is humility. Humility, another word could be lowliness. Paul calls us to walk in humility. The opposite of humility would be pride and arrogance. To be filled with self. The world boasts. The world parades. The world exalts self. It's all about the self. The story is told of two older men who were sitting around chatting one day. And the one said to the other, You know, sometimes I think everyone in the world is a bit off except for me and thee. And sometimes I wonder about thee. <laughs> I think that's a cute little story, right? The temptation for us is to always think everybody else has a problem, but I don't. I'm good. I've got things figured out. John Wesley talks about how the Romans and the Greeks did not have a word for humility. Humility was not in their vocabulary. Humility is not something they strived for. To be humble means you do not have an exalted view of yourself. You do not have an exalted view of yourself. And I think you can make the argument that humility is maybe the foundational Christian virtue. I want you to think about this. and This will be on the screen. A person cannot become a Christian without humility. You will never give your life to Jesus apart from humility. Because to give your life to Jesus, you have to acknowledge that you're a sinner and you're unworthy of a Savior. That you deserve, a, that you need, you don't deserve it, but you need someone to save you from your sins. 
That requires humility to acknowledge I can't save myself. And the reason so many people don't give their hearts and lives to Jesus is because of pride. I'm good. I can do this. I can save myself. I can work my way to heaven. So a person cannot become a Christian without humility, but also a Christian can't live like Christ without humility. You have to walk in humility to live like Christ because the reality is there's ongoing sin that must be confessed and repented of. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. So here's a, here's a question for you this morning. Would you say that your life right now is more self-sufficient or Christ-sufficient? Are you depending and living more for self or are you trusting in the sufficiency of Christ? Another way to ask that is this. Are you filled with pride or are you walking in humility? John MacArthur says this. Pride is the sin of competing with God. The bottom line is every sin ultimately has to be traced back to pride. Satan's ultimate sin when he was created by God as an angel and he rebelled against God was pride. Adam and Eve's first sin was pride. God, we know better than you. So we're going to do what we want rather than what you said. Every source of division in your relationships can almost always be traced back to pride. You just got to keep tracing it and you'll find it there. John Stott says pride lurks behind all discord. Behind all discord is some form of pride. So, MacArthur, pride is the sin of competing with God. I'm better than God. We're rebelling against God. Humility is the virtue of submitting to His supreme glory. So are we competing against God in our pride? Or in our humility, are we submitting to His supreme glory? That's what this shirt says. Declare His glory among the nations. Look, I'm not there packing boxes telling people, hey, let me tell you about Aaron Hornsby. It's about the glory of God. It's about the grace and the mercy of God. That's why we do what we do. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, gives a fantastic definition of humility. This will be on the screen. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. This is important. My teenagers in the room. Tune in. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. And that's what you all are wrestling with in your culture. It's this lack of self-esteem. It's this depression. It's this, I'm worthless. I'm a nobody. I'm junk. I'm garbage. Nobody loves me. That's not humility. That doesn't honor God when you think less of yourself. Because what the Bible says is you're made in the image of God. You have worth and you have value. And yes, you've rebelled against him. And yes, you're a red sinner who deserves hell. But the gospel says God loves you and sent his son to die for you so that you could be forever saved and changed. That is the gospel. That's what the word of God says. So humility is not thinking less of yourself. I'm a nobody. Stop entertaining those horrific thoughts. God loves you. You are somebody. Humility is just thinking of yourself less. It's not always, it's got to be about me. It's not in every conversation, let me tell you about me. 
It's not always pointing everyone to yourself. I think one of the greatest examples of humility we see in the Scriptures is in John the Baptist. When John the Baptist says, He, Jesus, must what? Increase, and I must decrease. That's humility. It's more about Jesus, and it's a whole lot less about me. That's humility. An admirer once asked Leonard Bernstein, a celebrated orchestra conductor, maybe it's Bernstein, I'm not really sure how you pronounce that, but he was a celebrated orchestra conductor, and an admirer asked him, what's the hardest instrument to play? Without hesitation, he replied, second fiddle. I can always get plenty of first violinist, but to find one who plays second violin with as much enthusiasm or second French horn or second flute, now that's a problem. And yet, he says, if no one plays second, we have no harmony. Be willing to play second fiddle. Be willing to be considered least among all the people, but to consider others of more importance than yourself. That's humility. It doesn't have to be about you. You don't have to be the center of every room or of every conversation. You're about exalting Christ, and you're about loving on other people. So let me ask you a question. Did Jesus walk in humility? Shake your head this way. Because it says this in Ephesians chapter 2. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. The eternal Godhead, Jesus Christ, left heaven's glory, emptied himself of it by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Jesus did not consider himself, but he considered the plan of the Father, and he knew through his death and resurrection that millions would be saved. The Bible says that for the joy set before him, the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured the cross, and the joy was because he knew it would result in salvation for millions and millions of people. And Paul tells us that we are to walk in humility. So with every single one of these, you've got to ask yourself the question, how are you walking? Are you walking in humility or more in pride? And brothers and sisters, if the answer is pride then what are you going to do about it? Well, you start by confessing it, repenting of it, and maybe during the invitation, you come on your knees and you pray and say, God, I'm filled with pride, and I can't walk that way any longer. You call me to walk in humility. Help me. So the first one is we walk in humility. Second, gentleness. And again, I don't know about you, but these don't come easy for me. right? We walk in humility, we walk in gentleness. Another word is meekness meekness. Aristotle writes, the greatest Greek virtue was refusal to tolerate any insult and a readiness to strike back. A refusal to tolerate any insult, and when insulted, you were always ready to strike back, to punch back, to retaliate. The opposite of gentleness would be harshness, right? A readiness to be harsh, a readiness to strike back or to lash out. But how does Paul call us to walk? In gentleness. Another word would be meekness. Now you've heard people say, a lot of times right, meekness was considered to be looked down upon, and they would see meekness as weakness. But meekness is not weakness. You've heard this before. This isn't new. I didn't come up with this. Meekness is simply power under control. So you have a horse. Some horses, when they're just wild and just out of control. And then you have a horse who has been tamed. 
Does that horse still have power? You better believe it does. It's just now under the control of a trainer, right? But still has power. It's just power under control. And we are to live our lives, right, with this strength and this power, but it's always to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. R.C. Sproul uh, would often do marriage conferences. And in doing marriage conferences, I read this week where he shared that he would always ask the ladies in the room, what are three virtues that you most desire to find in a man? He said, without a doubt, the top three answers were always confidence, strength, and tenderness. The, the, the virtues that women most desired in a man, nothing about looks, right? It was strength, confidence, and tenderness. Now, when I read that, and he makes a point about this, strength and tenderness seem to contradict. To be somebody who's strong, but yet tender. Do they really line up? But listen to what he says. He goes on to say, somebody who mixes strength with tenderness is a person who will never abuse strength in the direction of brutality. Somebody who is strong and confident, ultimately in the gospel, but their gender, their gender, they're gentle and tender. That's what happens when you combine two words. They're gentle and they're tender. You get the word gender. Um, and, and so this is a model for us to be strong, yet gentle, to be tender. So let me ask you a question. Was Jesus gentle? Shake your head this way. Jesus says it out of his own mouth. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, say it with me, gentle. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Listen to how one author describes it. Jesus was tender with a bruised and broken soul. Study the Gospels. See the broken and the bruised people, the sick, the hurting. How does Jesus treat them? He's tender. He's kind. He's compassionate. He's loving. He listens and he works. The author goes on to say, but he's strong and forceful with the proud, self-righteous Pharisees. His approach with the self-righteous Pharisees is different. But here's what I believe. Even when Jesus was strong, and even when he had to be forceful, his goal was always repentance. The purpose of church discipline is always repentance. It's always to bring somebody to a place where they repent of their sin and return to Jesus. And so we must be gentle. We must be kind. As followers of Christ, we must deal gently and compassionately with others. You must deal gently and compassionately with other people. But don't misunderstand me. Being gentle doesn't mean we don't speak truth. That's what a lot of people want to say. Well, if you love me, you would just let me be and let me live. You would stop telling me this is a sin and this is wrong. You would just let us be how we want to be. But that's not gentle and, and kind. We must speak the truth. Paul will go on to tell us in this same letter. We speak the truth in love, but we speak the truth. But we do it out of a heart that is gentle and kind. Now, the now, well, we got to be careful because when Jesus confronts the religious people, he always does it from a place of 100% righteousness. 
There's never sin. Sometimes when we confront other people and we're strong and forceful, we're really either judging them or we're mad at them. And so it really comes from a place of sin rather than I've prayed about this, I've sought the face of God on this, I've examined my own heart, and now I've got to be kind of strong here, but I need to speak to this. Here's why this is so important. We are living in a time where people have simply lost the ability to disagree with one another. America's been here a long time. They didn't always agree. You ever seen the Broadway play Hamilton? I mean, it's clear. They didn't agree even back then, right? They disagreed. I mean, they'd have duels. They would kill people back then, right? Um, they didn't always agree. But what's happened is in 2021, we have lost the ability to disagree with someone. Instead, what we do is we scream and we cuss and we call each other names and we belittle those who disagree with us. Hear me. That is not gentleness. That is not gentleness. Gentleness. If your if your personality when someone disagrees with you is to raise your voice, to get louder, to shout, to cuss, to call names, hear me, you will never, ever, ever win them to Christ by treating them that way. Ever. You may get your point across, but if they're like me, it's going to go in one ear and out the other. Right? And I have a the tendency to raise my voice at times. So this isn't, again, I'm not always the most gentle, right? So you've got to examine your own heart. But hear me, you don't have to agree with everybody. But in your disagreement, be gentle. Because Jesus doesn't need you to yell and shout for him. He can take care of himself. You just speak the truth in love and let the Spirit of God convict them and change their life. Number three, patience. We'll go through number three and four more quickly. Not because they're less important, but that's just what we're going to do. Number three is patience. Another word is long-suffering. Listen to how Lao and Nida in their Greek lexicon define this Greek word. A state of emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune and without complaint or irritation. That's hard to live up to. A state of emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune and without complaint or irritation. We, we can use the word long temper or long suffering. That's patience versus a short fuse. So how are you walking? Is your, is your personality that you'll suffer long or are you more of the short fuse kind of person? The, the person you're not very patient and you just blow up quickly. When we read a patience in the Bible, this is what I want to hammer home to us. It often speaks of God's patience with his people. God is patient towards his people. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 1. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, Paul says, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason. Listen to what he says. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ may display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Paul is saying, look how patient God was with me. And we, in our interactions with other people, are to walk in patience. Number four. Because with number four, it carries out what being patient actually looks like. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. The Greek word means to be patient with. To put up with. Here's the deal. 
No relationship will ever work if you and I aren't willing to make allowances for other people's faults and mistakes. And no relationship will ever work if they aren't willing to put up with your mistakes and failures. So let's, let's do a little exercise for a moment. Some of you are spit, sitting next to your spouse or your kids or a friend. I want you to think about them for just a second. Do they have faults, mistakes, failures, things that just frustrate you the way that they do things and you get upset and sometimes you want to pick and you want to be rude and you want to point out those things? Do they have them? What about you? You have them? You got mistakes and failures and shortcomings and things you struggle with? You see, we have to be willing to bear with one another, especially when it comes to discipleship. If you begin to disciple a young Christian, they're going to frustrate you at times. They're not going to move as quickly as you want. They're going to get it wrong several times, and you're going to be frustrated, but you've got to bear with them. You've got to be patient with them. You've got to keep loving on them. Bear with one another's weakness and failures, but this doesn't mean you ignore or tolerate sin. That is different. We are not saying we ignore sin, we, we don't ever speak to sin, we're just going to tolerate sin because i got to bear with you. No, there are going to be times somebody's going to sin against you, and you're going to have to be patient, and you're going to have to forgive them, and you're going to have to bear with them. We're not talking about just being blind to people's sins. If there is a sin in your life, you need to repent of it. And if your spouse is living in sin, you need to pray for them and encourage them. But a lot of times, our division doesn't come from sin. It comes from preferences and expectations that they don't live up to. And then we get upset, and we get frustrated. So we are to bear with one another, look what he says, in love. Did Jesus bear with his disciples in love? He did. He absolutely was bearing with them in love. And we must model that. As Jesus modeled that. And then here's the last one. I want to spend a couple minutes on this because this is so important. Verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Notice a couple things. Eager to maintain. Number one, you must work diligently to preserve and maintain this unity. So Paul's calling us to. Eager. The word is readiness to do something. To maintain the unity of the Spirit. Notice Paul's language here is intentional. To maintain. Which means we don't create it. We don't create the unity that exists among God's people. The Spirit of God creates it. Jesus brings it about when He tears down that dividing wall of hostility. Our responsibility is to maintain it. To keep the peace. To make sure we stay united as the church of Christ. Which leads to the second thing I want to say, and that is this. You must not be the cause or the source of division and disunity in the body of Christ. If there is division in the body of Christ, it must not be traced back to you. Again, that doesn't mean we can't. We're always going to agree on things. It doesn't mean sometimes we don't separate over doctrinal things. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying over some of these other things where there tends to be disunity, silly things like the color of the carpet and churches splitting over all this stuff, right? It can never be traced back to you that you were the cause of this blow up or this division or this dissension. So this is the third thing I want to say, and that is this. 
you must not allow disunity to fester and grow. Not only are you not to be the source of it, but when someone comes to you and says, hey, can I tell you about what's going on? Can I share with you about this? And they're upset and they're frustrated and you can sense right off the bat they're trying to cause some division and they're hurt. You don't continue that. You don't leave that conversation and call up your friend and say, hey, let me tell you about so-and-so. And you don't start picking sides and choosing where you're going to be. Right? If you see somebody causing division, you nip in the bud. You stop it. It stops right there. Richard Koken, in his commentary, really helpful, says, When tension arises, as it occasionally will in every church family, rather than stirring things up with overconfident opinions, destructive gossip, or bitter aggression, we are prayerfully to encourage and help each other to listen humbly, speak gently, and forgive patiently. That should be the attitude. And he says, in the bond of peace, right? The bond of peace that keeps us together and preserves the church's unity is the peace that the Holy Spirit brings. It is a peace that unites us. We are to be united around a common mission and a common vision. So one thing that's always been important to me as a pastor, when I'm in a, a community, um, and you know my love for sports, is that if a, a local team is playing in the championship game, whether i got kids to go there or not, or we got students that maybe go there, is I like to just cheer those teams on. It's my community. They're, they're wanting to win a championship, and so I like to cheer them on. So this past Thursday, um, I went to watch Trinity play in Atlanta in the, the single-A uh, high school football championship, single-A private school. Uh, my boys go there, but I, w- I probably would have gone anyway, just because I love football and I love to cheer on. And so we went um, and, and we watched the game and Trinity won and it was exciting. But, but here's the thing, and this, this is why I want to share this with you. Because last year Trinity also made the championship game. And they played the same team they played this past week, Prince Avenue. And they were playing them pretty well, got into the fourth quarter and they kind of blew it. Some people got hurt. Things fell apart. And so from last year, the moment they lost that game to this year, their coach, Coach Dallas, created, if you will, a vision or a mission that for an entire year that team would rally around. It would become the rallying cry. It would, it would unite them. And so they actually gave us some towels while we were there. It's hashtag 748CLIMB. 748CLIMB. For a year, all they talked about. Climb comes from, Coach Dallas loves talking about conquering mountains and climbing mountains and don't stop halfway but go to the mountain and don't be lazy and so just climb the mountain. So that's where the climb came from. But where did the 748 came, come from? Well, with seven minutes and 48 seconds to go, last year in the championship game, it was tied. And in seven minutes and 48 seconds, it kind of fell apart. So people got hurt. They, they just lost it. They fell apart. And so his theme for an entire year, was we got seven minutes and 48 seconds to go. We got to finish. Seven minutes and 48 seconds. For an entire year, that's what they united around. It was seven minutes and 48 seconds to go on Thursday night. Trinity led 52 to 28. It worked. It worked. He rallied them, and they won. Mostly juniors last year, seniors this year, they accomplished it. What I love about Coach Dallas uh, as a football coach um, is he calls football a silly game. Can we be honest? In light of what happened in Kentucky and other places, football, sports, it's just a silly game. It's not life. 
But what he says, it's a silly game that God has given me the opportunity to invest in young men who will one day become husbands and fathers, become citizens in a community. And so he sees it as not just coaching football, but changing young men who will then go out and change the world. But for an entire year, that's what they rallied around, and they won. And it was exciting. But here's the deal. Church, we have a much greater vision, mission, purpose than winning a state championship. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And in doing that, we are to stay united. That's our rallying call. To the, for the glory of God to the ends of the nations. That's what we're about. So here's how I want to close. I want to do this to encourage you, but also to challenge you. Earlier in the week, I was sitting in my office, and I was thinking about the associate pastor search process. And I don't have an update for you this morning. When I, have an, I updated at the recent church conference, but when I have a new update, I'll give it to you. Um, but I, just been, I was thinking about that and praying about that, and, and here's the deal. Whenever God opens that door and that man and his family come in, he's stepping into a church that has no debt. Praise the Lord. Amen. No debt. He and his family are also stepping into a church that right now has a beautiful, beautiful Christ-centered unity. And you know it hasn't always been that way. There's been times in your history where there wasn't a unity as a church. But right now, are we perfect? No. Am I perfect? Everybody shake your head this way. No. I can improve as a pastor. I can grow. But right now, by God's grace, there is a unity. And that man and his family are going to step into an environment where he doesn't have to worry about who's going to attack him, who's going to be critical, who's going to be mean-spirited, because that doesn't exist right now here. There is unity, and he gets to step into that. And that's exciting. And you need to realize how many young men who are serving in churches would give anything for the unity that exists right now at Northside. So that's to encourage you. That God is at work here. And if you're looking for a church who's going to love on you, you don't have to look any further. This is the place. But here's the challenge. Maintain it. Going forward, do not allow anything under any circumstance to disrupt and take away from the Spirit-filled unity that exists right now at Northside. Because you better believe Satan is already trying to figure out how he can disrupt what God's doing here. And he's going to come. And his minions are going to come. His demons are going to come. And they're going to try to rip apart what God is building here. So as we move forward, let us always be determined that we're going to maintain that unity. And here's how you do it. By walking in humility. By walking in gentleness. By being patient with one another and bearing with one another in love. So here's the question for you. How are you walking? In those five areas, how does your, how's your walk look? Brothers, sisters, whether you've been a believer for 50 years or five years, if you're falling short in one of those areas, would you just confess it this morning and say, Jesus, I'm not as gentle as I need to be. I'm not as patient as I need to be. I'm struggling in this area. Maybe you just want to come forward and pray. If you're really struggling with one of those, grab somebody by the hand and say, hey, will you come pray with me? I, I, want, I want deliverance and victory in this area. And hear me, if you're here and you're not walking with Jesus, I want you to know that we have been praying for you. 
We have been praying for you that you would give your life and your heart to Jesus. That you would trust in Him, believe in Him, and that you would find and come to know the joy that we have. Look, if you don't know Jesus, here's what I want you to know as we close. People in this room, many of them are hurting. Many of them are walking through some really difficult things. Life isn't easy for everybody in this room. And if you don't know Jesus and you're hurting and you're broken, here's what I think every one of us would stand up and say, but by the grace of God. It's only through Christ that I can have this smile and this joy in the midst of horrific, horrendous circumstances. It's only through Jesus Christ and is saving us from our sins. Do you know Jesus? Let's pray. Father, God, we do. I I believe as Christians, our desire, I pray our desire is to walk and live in a manner, God, that is worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And Father, the reality is every single one of us in this room falls short of that every single day. We're not all alike. Some of us in this room, Lord, they're gentle. The Spirit of God has worked that in them, and they're just gentle and always calming and so kind and so sweet. For others, they're very patient. The Spirit of God has worked that in them. And for others, they're walking in humility. They're bearing with one another in love. And then at the same time, we have people in this room, Father, who are maybe struggling with pride, who are just really harsh and angry and critical and and bitter. Others who struggle with patience. Maybe, Father, there are some, their household is divided, their relationship with their children, there's division there, and it can stem back from pride. Father, we just need the Spirit of God to work in our hearts. Because what I'm learning more and more and more is there is a lost world who is watching us. Watching what we say. Watching how we live. Oh God, may we walk before them in humility. In gentleness. Patience. Bearing with one another in love and maintaining the unity in the Spirit. Father, would you help us to do that for your glory and your honor. Because salvation is at stake. And your glory, Father, is at stake. And we want to be a people who glorify your name. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. We're going to sing together. I'll be here at the front. If you need me to pray for you, the altar is open. You come and pray as the Spirit of God leads you. Amazing grace, Grace
uh, you may be seated. So here's what we're going to do. Mr. Kerry Beard is a deacon of the week, so I'm going to have him come and close our worship out with prayer. Uh, and then we're going to have some fun together. Uh, and, and, and I don't know what David's got planned, man. He, but he, he's got it, and so we're going to have some fun together talking about these ugly sweaters and how good some of you all look. So um, just a couple of announcements. Please pay attention uh, to them. We have a church work day coming up on Saturday. Uh, they need to know if you're planning on coming so they can have enough food. And then our senior friends is having a white elephant gift exchange. Sign up for that. If you plan on coming, seniors, let them know. Please sign up. Uh, you want to be a part of that. That's going to be a lot of fun. All right, Mr. Carey, if you will close us with the word of Over to you, brother. Y'all pray with me. Dear Lord, we thank you that we have the freedom to come and worship and sing praises to you. Thank you for a leader that has our best interest at heart, that loves you and tells us the truth of your gospel message and how we need to love one another. Lord, just give us the strength and the vision and the courage and the wisdom that we need to be obedient to you in everything that we do and say. And I ask all of this in the praise the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.